for uh, coming, being here tonight. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and two verses uh, there, verses 13 and 14, I'll read in a moment. And had a a great time this week, Uh, revival services ended last night. This is kind of like revival part two, or, you know, two point, or 2.0, or... Uh, but I appreciate the opportunity to preach to you tonight the Word of God, and uh, just uh, it'll because there's a large cross section of men of all ages and backgrounds. Uh, there's something fitting here, I believe, for all of us. A major part of the cultural debate today revolves around the issue of gender, what it means to be truly masculine or truly feminine. Some of you maybe read about the Canadians' couple, uh, the Canadian couple's determination to raise what they called a genderless baby. Uh, because after all, you know, gender is just simply society trying to impose uh, its ways and uh, their being a parent was a personal project uh, and they don't have to measure up to any of society's expectations. You had a recent uh, Time magazine cover story that said, Man up, the traditional male is an endangered species and then you had the mother and her raising what she called my princess boy uh, who this young boy decides to he wants to dress up like a girl and so the parents appeasement uh, not to mention you know a bit of exploitation since she you know, get on the news and the Today Show and, you know, with things like, well, I just don't want to crush his spirit. I want him to be free to express himself. And so what we have today really is a kind of gender war. Everything from James Brown singing, It is a man's world, to... Helen Reddy's song, I am a woman, and then one of the words were, hear me roar. I don't know about you, hearing, you know, that's scary. (laughs) You know, I know you're a woman, I don't need you to roar. (laughs) Unless you're Hillary Clinton, but you know, that's a totally, you know, it is scary. But all of this highlights an area of unhealthy confusion and conflict today, the whole question of what it means to be a man. Our 26th president was Theodore Roosevelt, and he understood the importance of mature manhood, not only to life in general, but to... uh, the soul and the strength of a nation. And one of his words were, all daring and courage, all iron endurance of misfortune make for a finer and nobler type of manhood. And etched in granite are some of his guiding personal philosophies. He said, I want to see you game boys, 
I want to see you brave and manly, and I also want to see you gentle and tender. It's not an exaggeration to say that this, without question, is a crucial need in our country, in our institutions, in our churches, and in our families today. And so I want to read uh, this text, and I want to preach to you about manning up out of this, and I'm going to read uh, these verses out of the Williams translation, but you'll get the point uh, tonight. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Be always on your guard. Stand firm in your faith. Keep on acting like men. Continue to grow in strength. Let everything be done in love. I want to talk first of all about where have the good men gone. And to quote one of the uh, prophets of the 60s generation, Bob Dylan, the times they are changing. And it is a very well documented crisis with an abundance of cultural observers and authors writing about this, numerous, numerous articles about the widespread and the disabling problem in men today of delayed maturity. A generation of young people that are unwilling to grow up and assume adult responsibilities or that find it very, very difficult to do so. There have been articles and books, uh, one called Manning Up, another The Making of Modern Immaturity, another title Not Quite Adults, another book Guyland, another book Why There Are No Good Men Left, the romantic plight of the single or the new single woman. And there is, as a result, a whole vocabulary that has grown up to describe this condition. They're called twixters. In other words, they're not kids anymore, but they're not adults either. They're twixters. The sensitive male, the metrosexual, the toddler man, the emo, the child man, and whatever you call it, what we're looking at tonight, gentlemen, is men who have been waitlisted for adulthood. Some people travel, you know, I'm waitlisted, uh, which simply means if there's room on the next flight, I'll be able to take it. But, you know, you'd be waitlisted for hours, if not days sometime. And so we've got a whole slew of men waitlisted for adulthood. And if the 20th century brought us adolescence, then the 21st century has brought us the pre-adult and it is a reference to this intermediate phase of putting off or delaying adult responsibility. And what it means is you've got men who are still dressing and acting and thinking like uh, teenagers. Social scientists say we are witnessing a whole new stage of life. You know, it used to just simply be you're a child, you're an adolescent, you're an adult. Now we've got this whole intermediate phase uh, today of pre-adults. Uh, one woman, Kay Himowitz, and I'll read from her book in a, in a bit, said not so long ago the average American man in his 20s had achieved most of the milestones of adulthood. A high school diploma, financial independence, marriage and children... Today, most men in their 20s hang out in a novel sort of limbo, a hybrid state of semi-hormonal semi adolescence and responsible self-reliance, a pre-adulthood. 
And we're talking about a real condition that is being fueled, some of it by economics, by the new economy, some of it by the entertainment industry. Education definitely is playing a role here, along with the entitlement mentality of people relying upon the government or the nanny state. And the point that I want to make is that this isn't just some passing some curious phenomena or fad, but it really represents a momentous sociological development that has occurred over the last uh, 10 to 20 years. In the book uh, called Manning Up, let me just read you the flyleaf uh, of that book. It said... Dudes, guys, geeks, hipsters, are they men or are they boys? Influential social critic Kay Himowitz shows why lots of people, especially young women, aren't so sure and why that matters to all of us. Listen closely. Men in their 20s and 30s are ground zero for two radical shifts in contemporary life delayed adulthood and an increasingly female-friendly economy. Settling into their careers, marrying and having children later than ever before, young people are carving out a new, quote, pre-adult stage of life. Women are now the first sex among pre-adults. They are the majority of college grads and are taking over new sectors of a recession-battered but still dynamic knowledge economy, from marketing to communications, design to nonprofits, a historic number of high-wage careers are not just open to women, but dominated by them. And the men, from the outside, pre-adult men are oft often seem like children filling their leisure time with video games, Adam Sandler movies, indie bands, beer pong, and the company of inebriated women. But it's not all fun for men, listen, and certainly not any fun for the women who would like them to grow up. With no clear life script, these men don't know what is expected of them, either as men or as adults. In the past, dating in the early adult years was largely a means to an end. Marriage and fatherhood, no more. Dating can meet a decade or more of miscues, bad breakups, and Match.com dead ends. Meanwhile, marriage and parenthood can come in a myriad of forms or be skipped uh, altogether. So I'm not just making something up, you know, oh, here's something, uh, here's a problem, here's a boogeyman, let's uh, make it bigger than it really is. But we are looking at uh, the problem of vanishing masculinity. That in many ways we are living in a much, much different world where men are asking what is their role, what is their place. I remember reading a quote by Charles Swindoll, and now this is actually getting a little bit old, but uh, I don't know what he would say about it today, but he wrote, masculinity is vanishing throughout the land. Fathers have lost their way to true manhood and have thrown responsibility to the wind. Sex roles are blurring. Masculine leadership is disappearing. And like dominoes, homes and marriages are collapsing. I'm bothered by a trend I see occurring, preoccupation and passivity among fathers. Now, a lot of this is being fueled by a very real demographic, a demographic shift, and it's creating a growing gender gap, which has been called, it's been dubbed, the new girl order. And what that's all about is that among these pre-adult individuals, women are now becoming the first sex in economics and in education. It's women now that are graduating from college and earning degrees in greater numbers. 
Women have higher GPAs. Uh, many tend to have more confidence and more drive in their 20s. Uh, they are given real economic advantages in the job market and in our new economy and subsequently may have greater earning power as a result where they no longer have to rely upon a man. And the anomaly in all of this is this is the same decade that, you know, you know the same decade that brought this girl-powered pre-adult has also spawned this cultural contradiction of the child man, this book, uh, Manning Up, the subtitle is How the Rise of Women Has Turned Men into Boys. In other words, it's all upside down. And the dilemma, the question that won't go away, and that's why a meeting, a gathering of men like this is so rare, is where have all the good men gone? Because what has become obvious to legions of frustrated women, young women, is that this does not bring out the best in men. There's a comedian, I don't know, I just read her name, but her name is Julie Klossner. And she wrote a book, she said, I don't care about your band. What I learned from indie rockers, trust funders, pornographers, felons, faux-sensitive hipsters, and other guys I've dated. And here she's saying, we're sick of hooking up with guys, and by guys she means males who are not boys or men, but something in between. And, you know, you can throw into this mix the prototypical symbol of the hyper-successful single woman now approaching middle age, uh, you know, Jennifer Aniston, who's 42 and, you know, has her picture everywhere, headlines, fabulous at 40. Yeah, but the problem is uh, she's unmarried, uh, can't hold on to any kind of relationship. Her biological clock is ticking. She's childless, and there's some very, very troubled waters ahead. And so I put all of this just simply to underscore the fact that this is a confused generation and this contributes uh, greatly to the weakness uh, in our nation, in our churches, uh, in our families. Uh, it can all be traced back to an anemic view of manhood that's so prevalent today. Let me look secondly with you at the call to menergy. Because how many know, I know this is, there's no women here tonight, but there's a profound difference between men and women. And that difference is not just limited to plumbing. <laughs> I can read this without alienating anyone because there are no women here tonight. But uh, I read this article about a new sign, and it's obviously tongue-in-cheek, but a new sign in a bank lobby that uh, contains some deep spiritual truth. Uh, and it said this, Please note that this bank is installing a new drive through ATM machine. Customers using this new facility are requested to use the procedures outlined below when accessing their accounts. After months of careful research, male and female procedures have been developed. The signs that please follow the appropriate steps for your gender. And then it said male procedure. One, drive up to the cash machine. Two, put down your car window. Three, insert card into machine and enter PIN. Four, enter amount of cash required and withdraw. Five, retrieve card, cash, and receipt. Six, put window up. Seven, drive off. Female procedure. One, 
drive up to the cash machine. Two, reverse and back up the required amount to align car window with the machine. Three, set parking brake and put the window down. Four, find handbag, remove all contents onto the passenger seat to locate card. Five, tell person on cell phone you will call them back and hang up. Six, attempt to insert car, card into machine. Seven, open car door to allow easier access to machine due to its excessive distance from the car. Eight, insert car, card. Nine, reinsert card the right way. Ten, <laughs> dig through handbag to find diary with your pin written on the inside back page. 11, enter PIN. 12, pr press cancel and re-enter re correct PIN. 13, enter amount of cash required. 14, check makeup in rear view mirror. 15, re retrieve cash and receipt. 16, empty handbag again to locate wallet and place cash inside. 17, write debit amount in a check register and place receipt in back of checkbook. 18, recheck makeup. Uh, 19, drive forward two feet. 20, reverse back to cash machine. 21, retrieve card. 22, re-empty handbag, locate card holder and place card into the slot provided. 23, give dirty look to irate male driver waiting behind you. 24, restart stalled engine and pull off. 25, redial person on cell phone. 26, drive for two to three miles. 27, release parking brake. <laughs> So I don't have to worry about alienating any of the sisters at all. And if they ask you what Pastor Warner preached, he just preached to, to us. And, uh, you know, it's a lovely sermon, wonderful, and he said great things about you. <laughs> but the point is, and, and what is generally true, is that women and men mature at different rates. 17-year-old girl can function many times as an adult and are uh, composed and uh, somewhat mature while a 17-year-old guy is still giving his friends wedgies. But I don't see, we're talking about gender. Gender is not some socially constructed reality. You know, it's not a guy thing, it's not a girl thing, it's a God thing. Read Genesis 1 and verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him male and female. He created them. And this one verse makes some very important statements. One is we are created. We didn't come about by chance. There is a creator. And the second is we are made in the image of God. There is within every human being a spark of the eternal. There is a soul within every human being. And the third thing is he made them male and female, that gender is an important and purposeful part of the creator's intent. And so when I talk about the call to menergy, I'm talking about the return of the real man. And that's what Paul's writing about to the Corinthians in our text in verse 13. Keep on acting like men. One translation said, act like men. Another, be men of courage. Acquit yourself like men. Another said, act like men and be courageous. The, whole, the word menergy actually was a word coined by a New York Times reporter last year that referred to men wanting to be real men. 
that amidst of all this confusion, there is the reality that testosterone is making a comeback. And so God says, keep on acting like men. And you know what? He's not diminishing a woman's value or contribution, but he is highlighting the traditional masculine virtues of strength, of boldness, of courage, of sacrifice, of risk-taking uh, as something that is very, very needful. God doesn't say the goal is to get in touch with our feminine side. He said the goal is to get in touch of what's supposed to be our masculine side. Keep on acting like men. In the complete Jewish Bible, it translates this verse, behave like a mensch, grow strong. And the word mensch is a Yiddish word that means a person of integrity. A mensch is someone who is responsible, someone who has a sense of right and wrong. A mensch is the kind of person that other people respect and look up to, and so the opposite of a mensch is an unmensch which actually means an evil or a cruel person. And so it takes this phrase, uh, keep on acting like men, and it injects it uh, with that understanding of becoming a person of integrity, becoming a person that other people will look up to. You know, one of the great cultural mysteries today is Adam Sandler, who's made a name and a career for himself in comedy films that are all about arrested development in men. And it's made him one of the biggest names in Hollywood. His films, I read, have grossed $2.5 billion worldwide. And he's made a career in comedy for and about child men. He's made millions, and it's actually become in and of itself a kind of film genre that epitomizes our time, where in other times he would be looked at as not just an aberration, but something disgusting. Today, you know, he's a star, a celebrity. But real menergy is what God calls for when he says, keep on acting like men. Now, it's important to set this in some kind of context because menergy is not, you know, machoistic swagger but the traditional way that adult manhood has always been understood and defined is with marriage and fatherhood one man wrote a true masculinity is grounded in a man's determination to fulfill his manhood in being a good husband, father, citizen, worker, leader, and friend, one who makes a difference, fulfills a role for others, and devotes his life to these tasks. And the reason that that is so important tonight, man, is what's happened in the last 20 years. There's, there's been a kind of paradigm shift in these pre-adults that are delaying marriage. You can say, well, it's economic factors, and I'm sure that has some influence and plays into it, but the fact is that men today are getting married six to seven years later than they were 30 years ago. In 1970, 
Seven in 10 25-year-olds would be married. By the year 2000, only one in three had reached that milestone. And one of the real tragedies and insights is that when you ask young people today what will make them adults, almost no one mentions marriage. They're far more likely to talk about issues like work or completing their education or financial independence as signs that they've arrived. And so I'm not saying that those things don't have their place, but I am saying that traditionally manhood, menergy, has always been understood in the context of marriage and fatherhood. I'm not trying to oversimplify or say, you know, a one-size-fits-all approach, but biblically, real menergy is expressed in three dimensions. One is he is a promise keeper. I'm not talking about the group, you know, the promise keepers, but... You know, when God told the children of Israel that he had prepared for them the promised land, the promised land for a man is the place where we keep our promises. We keep our promises to ourselves, to our wives, to our children, to our God. The promised land is the place where our words can be trusted. And listen, for a man and for a husband, the promised land is the place where you stop wandering in your marital commitment. And I don't just simply mean that you're hanging out with other women. I'm talking about in your mind. You stop wandering in your commitment. Menergy is also expressed as, um, in a man as protector. He is a promise keeper. He is a protector. That a woman's value and a woman's honor was to be under the blanket of protection that a man provided. Whether it be wife, sister, daughter, a man, menergy, meant that there was this mantle of protection that he provided. See, being a man means providing security. And I don't just simply mean physical, I mean emotional and relational. You know, it used to be that men would defend a woman's honor. That's why the Bible, by the way, says to young men, treat the, sis uh, you know, the younger women as sisters. How many of you are older brothers? Let me see your hand. You know, how many you know the role of an older brother is if anyone starts messing with your younger sister, they're going to have to deal with you? You understood, hey, I, you know, I'm going to protect her honor. So I'm always nervous about brothers that have to troll in other churches to find a wife. Because a lot of times it's because you have such a lousy testimony in your own church that they're on to you. And instead of protecting the sisters, you've been exploiting them, and they've got your number. And so, you know, you're, you're on the Christian version of Match.com so that you can present yourself. Everybody in your own church knows who you are, so you've got to go online to... Make up this phony person. Because what's missing is menergy. All that's for free. I just threw that in. <laughs> but think about David. 
Think about that story. You know, doesn't the story, you know, of David and Goliath still stir you? I mean, it's not just some story for kids' Sunday school classes. It still is meant to, to stir us. And when David, uh, <coughs> excuse me, stood before Saul as a man after God's own heart, what he gave as one of his qualifications is he said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. Uh, and if it arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. What he was saying is I protected what was given to my interests. This was his qualifying credential because an enemy or any kind of threat, he rose up as a protector. There's a third dimension of energy, and that is he's a provider. And while provision is not just limited only to man uh, a lot today, being a provider is more than just paying the rent and paying the food bill. It's all about providing loving leadership. Ephesians 5:22 in the message paraphrase says, "Wives." understand and support your husbands in ways that show you support your support for Christ the husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church not by domineering but by cherishing so just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership wives should likewise submit to their husbands husbands uh, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church a love marked by giving not getting Menergy is all about uh, this dimension of provision that a man brings to his home. You know, there is uh, very much today a demonic assault against young girls. The sexualization of young girls today by the media and the damage that this is causing, uh, you know, in so many different ways. But I was interested that, uh, you know, there's a columnist, she's not a conservative, you know, Kathleen Parker wrote about this, and when she reported on it, the question that she raised when it comes to this very, very overt sexualization of young girls is she asked, where are the fathers? Where are the fathers who are providers and provide security and protection? I know what your pastor's preaching Sunday morning here, but the last day's revival, the Bible says, is spearheaded by menergy. Malachi 4, 5, and 6, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. He's talking about an initiative and a work of God that begins with men. And so when Paul writes the church, he says, keep on acting like man. He's talking about a crucial dimension. So let me close and just briefly talk about then how to man up. Because biblically, manhood is more than just genetics and biology. Someone wrote, male by birth, man by choice. And what it highlights is that manhood involves choices that we are making regularly about God and about his will. 1 Corinthians 13, there are two whens. When I was a child, 
I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. When I was a child, when I became a man. And it's almost a universal rule of civilization that girls became women simply by reaching physical maturity. But boys and men reached manhood by passing a test. That there was a spiritual passage as well as a physical change. And this calls for God's enabling. If we're going to see this fulfilled, it's going to require God's enabling. You know, the book I referred to, uh, Manning Up, was a book that was given to me by a fellow avid reader, Dr. Hamilton, in Santa Monica. And I read the book and I wrote him back about it uh, and, and basically you don't have to go out and buy the book. Uh, I'm, I'll give you the gist so that and save you the money. And, but what I, I wrote back to Dr. Hamilton and I said, uh, you know, the book was fine in diagnosing or detailing the problem today. But she really didn't have much to say at all about the answer or the alternative. There's a lot, chapter after chapter, about detailing this problem of, uh, you know, uh, uh, delaying adulthood and men not growing up. But when it came down to, all right, give us some answers, you know what? Just like, you know, secularism always, you know, it can maybe diagnose the problem, but it does little else. See, the Word of God tonight doesn't just diagnose the problem. It does tell us what the problem is, but how many know it also gives us the answer and also brings the promise of God's enabling. That's the difference between therapy and salvation. And so I wrote him, you know, just a little note, a little email that, you know, the book was fine, but, you know, very little alternative was given. And, and listen to what he wrote back to me. He said, your thoughts are exactly what I came away with from the book. The answer is another Jesus revival in men in this country, which is the business we are in. That's the answer, is another Jesus revival in men in this country. That is our business. And so I want you to look again at our text because there are really four adjectives in our text that give us insight into not only the challenge for every man, young and old, but also the enabling of God's grace to see this uh, become a reality. And there are four in our text. The first is uh, the call to moral village, vi vigilance. Verse 13 begins, Be always on your guard. When? How, 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 how often do we need to be on our guard? Always. always. Say always. When can you let down your guard? Never. <laughs> nah, you're, you're getting it. Never. You know, that's what separated Gideon's 300. They went down to the brook, uh, and when they got water, they didn't just, you know, dive in and just, you know, quench their thirst, but they were looking around because the enemy could be almost anywhere. And they would scoop up water. And out of the thousands, there were only 300 that demonstrated 
that kind of moral vigilance that this scripture says, he begins, be always on your guard. Second is the need for a vital relationship with Christ. Be always on your guard. Stand firm in your faith. He said, if you want to be the man God wants you to be, make your relationship with Christ the number one priority in your life. The third adjective here and truth is that character counts. Because he says, continue to grow in strength. Now that doesn't mean that you learn to bench press 300 pounds. So I'm just doing the word of God, you know. Little steroid, little, you know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing 400 pounds. It's not what he's talking about. You bench 400 and still be a midget. <laughs> Continue to grow in strength means areas in life that really matter. Be strong. That's why, man, that's why boys need fathers. Because, see, you know, you know, there's times. You know, there's times to thank God for a mother's love and all that, but there are times you don't need, porcito mijo. <laughs> you know, what you need. You know, some of you, you go to counseling, you expect a pastor, porcito mijo. You know, okay, lastima. Uh, you know what you need? Sometimes you need to go to counseling and someone say, you know what? Grow up. Be strong. Oh, okay. You know, my wife has more strength than most men that I see. Her counsel would deal with it. It's Mona. <laughs> I don't think she, she you know, a little, you know, but she, she just doesn't have time for whiners. She'll say, you know, well, come talk to me when you have a real problem. <laughs> little, little word to pastors. When you find that there's a whole bunch of women wanting to counsel with you, and when they come to talk to you, they're piddly, like nothing problems, you better be on your guard. Say, so you know what? Go pray. I'm not Jesus. Go pray. <laughs> or I don't know. I'm not a woman. Go talk to somebody else. Because it may make you think like, oh, they must think, I'm no, no, it's a setup. And then the fourth thing is a willingness to sacrifice. Because he concludes and says, let everything be done in love. That's why the word of God has such a fantastic balance to it, doesn't it? Be always on your guard, moral vigilance. Stand firm in your faith. Continue to grow in strength. But then he said, if you're going to be a real man and exercise energy, let everything be done in love. See, the idea to really care, to show some tenderness, is somehow diminishing your manhood. Is you, you're missing it. He balances and said, let everything be done in love. And that's why I believe, and we'll close very soon, 
recognize, I believe, that Christ-likeness and manhood are synonymous. How many know that true manhood means being like Jesus? That's our model. It means becoming more like Jesus. And real men follow Jesus. He is not only our model, he is our enabler. And when you commit yourself to following him with all your heart, there is released in your life a dynamic that our text talks about when it says, keep on acting like men. And I'll close with this quote. It said, every married woman longs to be loved by a truly masculine man. Not an emasculated man devoid of energy, spirit, and confidence, or a macho cowboy who uses cheap bravado to prop up his male insecurities, but a God-honoring man who is secure enough to be divinely elastic. This brand of man can be both strong and sensitive. Such men free women to respond with respect and with love. Be always on your guard. Keep on acting like men. Stand firm in your faith. Continue to grow in strength and let everything be done in love. And those words taken to heart and practiced in our lives will bless our homes and families. It will bless our churches. It will bless our nation and our land today. And it will stand in stark but attractive contrast to a generation of young men that have no playbook. They have no playbook. <laughs> should, should I say that? Reason, the reason that skinny jeans are so popular is they don't have a playbook. So I don't like shopping in Europe. That? I'm not wearing that. I got diverted. I apologize. <laughs> Amen. We ought to just pray. Bow your heads. <laughs>